Welcome to the Rachel Does Therapy podcast. I'm your host, Rachel, professional helper, advocate for self-love and fellow human being. Today, I invited my former classmate and colleague, Andrea Alvarez, to talk about destigmatizing mental health, as well as the work that she's doing at Operation Homefront. We had so much fun talking about mental health and just kind of catching up on life that this episode actually ended up being pretty long. So it's been split into two parts, the first being released this week, and then you'll catch the next one next week. But before you listen to the episode, a quick disclaimer. While the topics discussed on the podcast may be therapeutic in nature, the podcast is not a substitute for therapy. Enjoy. You were saying that worked for Operation Homefront. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you were telling me more about what you do there. Right. So there's different programs. Mm-hmm. The one specifically that I'm working for is called Homes on the Homefront. Okay. And essentially we, um, as an organization, they have a partnership with a couple of different banks and home builders and um, the homes are donated mortgage free. Oh. Yeah. I didn't know that was something that is it like a national nonprofit or just for the state of Georgia? Uh well the nonprofit's actually based out of Texas. So I'm a remote employee. Okay. Um I Skype in on all the meetings and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um so it really um came about out of the housing crisis. Mm-hmm. Um the banks had a lot of um foreclosed homes on their roster mm-hmm. that technically they needed to get rid of um and then you know everybody loves such a veteran story so somehow they teamed up um and our biggest donor is chase bank and so essentially when they have homes Mm -hmm. um they go through their roster um they donate the the home Mm -hmm. no 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 financial strings attached um they do a full rehab on the home before the family moves in um, and so my job, mm-hmm. um, couple different things. So one of my jobs is to find families to put these homes in. Okay. So when we get the home, we'll post it on our website mm-hmm. and put a description of the house, um, the community. Mm-hmm. We don't actually give the address, um, mm-hmm. but it's more of just a general area of where this home is located and people apply. Oh, okay. And so my job is to go through every single application. Looking How, for key things. <laughs> How long does that take you? Um, it 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 depends on the area. Um, when we like, for example, we had a home in Atlanta. Um, I probably got about a hundred and fifty applications, and it took me about a month and a half, two months. Um, however, I have a home right now in Bean Station, Tennessee. Okay. Never heard of it. Me either. Um, I have about 15 applications, and I need more. Like, I need people to apply, because mm-hmm. the 15, out of the 15 I have, there's only one slightly good. Candidate. Yeah. Yeah. So, I never thought that, like, giving away a home was, like, so hard and difficult, but it actually is, and there's yeah. a lot of things that go into it when I'm reading through these narratives, mm-hmm. um, which is difficult because they're very personal stories they're different reasons and then there's people who just don't care and just like I need a home exclamation point and I'm like 
Okay. <laughs> so, um, so I my job is to go through the applications um, mm-hmm. based off of what we look for, narrow yeah. down that list of how how many applications to about two or three very strong potentials. Yeah. Um, we have a committee that basically consists of um, the director of our program and mm-hmm. some other higher ups, uh, a board member. And they will review the three that I present to them. And yeah. we just talk about, you know, their family, their military history, their income, mm-hmm. um, their debts, collections, um, and kind of why they want to be in this home. Mm-hmm. And um, so they'll review them. They'll pick one or two. Mm-hmm. Usually it's just one. And at that, don't, at that point, we do background checks, credit okay. checks, military references, personal references, landlord references. Mm-hmm. And if they come back, everything checks out, then at that point, they're usually awarded the home. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, when you see on social media when I'm traveling, essentially, those are the times that I'm actually meeting the family for the first time. Wow. And I'm officially presenting them with the key to the home. It's their mm-hmm. first time seeing it. Um, and usually from the time they apply to that moment, it can be anywhere from six to nine months, even a year yeah. sometimes. Wow. The one I just did in Illinois was they've been waiting a year for their house. Wow. Um, so that's the beginning process of it. And mm-hmm. then, um, so that's the vetting side. And then on the case management side, I will stay with the family for two years we do very intensive financial counseling. We have savings goals. Um, mm-hmm. They have to pay off their collections. Also, especially with the veterans, they've lived in military housing. They've rented apartments. Mm-hmm. Um, and so home ownership is something very new to them. Mm-hmm. And they're not familiar that with homes, things will happen yeah. <laughs> all the time, like yeah. all the time. Um, so when repair issues pop up, um, they, you know, they'll call me, we'll kind of troubleshoot and figure out what needs to be done to address it. Um, so they have to correspond with me on a monthly basis. They have to submit budgets, mm-hmm. um, proof of savings. They do, we do quarterly visit, virtual visits with them. Um, they actually do get professional financial counseling on top mm-hmm. of my quarterly visits. Yeah. Um, we do have a guy that goes out and inspects the home mm-hmm. um, twice during the two years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, pretty much if they stay com- in communication, they do everything they're supposed to do, they make efforts, um, at that point, we'll, I'll go back to the committee and say, hey, you know, this is what the Jones family has done over the past two years. They paid off this much debt. They saved this much money. Um, their kids are involved in the local bands. They have volunteered at the community center. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they returned all my phone calls. <laughs> you know, yeah. they're easy to work with. They did all these home improvements. Um, then they will officially say, okay, they're approved. And they'll close on the house just like they would on anyone. But at that point, it is mortgage free. Um, and so my spiel is always like, you know, although it's mortgage free, like nothing is ever really free. So I was, I was just, yeah. So, um, in most cases they do have property taxes. They have okay. to pay if there's any HOA in the neighborhood, they have to pay those dues, um, routine maintenance, lawn mm-hmm. care, pest control, stuff like that. That is their responsibility. So really my, my two years is getting them into the habit of saving, you know, for that 
five or six thousand dollar property tax bill that's coming you mm-hmm. know or um, you know making sure that they're taking care of things and following the HOA guidelines mm-hmm. um, and really being a part of the community um, and our our kind of motto is to provide um, strong, stable, and secure military families. Um, so that's many pillars of financial stability, community involvement, mm-hmm. and just overall stability for a family that's probably never had it yeah. while the service member has been at active duty. Mm-hmm. So um, so that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now I probably have about 35 families on my caseload. Wow. Uh, the one, the farthest one away, they live in Albuquerque, um, Colorado, Illinois, Connecticut, Vermont, North Carolina. There are houses everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when they pop up, I just get assigned the next one, and yeah. and that's it. Yeah. How many families have you, well, given, like, the key to their <laughs> home? Or? Um... I mean, at this point, probably at least 20 or 30. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then your caseload is like 35 families. Is that at any given time? Or? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. We've done um, some restructuring a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some of our caseworkers started doing things very specific, like repair. We, we now have a repair coordinator because mm-hmm. there was you know, hundreds of houses, there's always something, um, and we used to have to handle that as caseworkers, but they decided to designate one person to handle those, Mm -hmm. and then we used to have to travel to their homes physically every Mm -hmm. quarter to Mm -hmm. do the quarterly visits, Yeah, and I think somebody in accounting was like, (laughs) no, (laughs) why are we doing this? Um, so when I first started for like the first year, I was always on the road because Mm -hmm. we had to physically go to their houses every three or four months and visit them. Um, so then they were like, okay, who wants to do, be the one to travel? And so Daniel, he's a single guy, God bless him. Um, he goes to every single home, you know, and visits, but he doesn't have to do it every three months. It's just once a year, but as many houses as we have, it puts them on the road all the time right um and then so the real special thing for me is the key handover that's what we call when we meet with them um because we you know they're allowed to invite family friends um co-workers and then representatives from the bank usually come so Mm -hmm. chase representatives will be there Mm -hmm. and it's just really a time to recognize and celebrate the families and thank them for their service on behalf of everybody you know to present them with this opportunity and usually the night before that I'll meet with the families and I'll sit down and there's a whole binder we give them and I will talk about everything that they have to do over the next two years and Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of get the opportunity to connect with them in person kind of build a rapport a little bit and then we let them move in I leave them alone for like the first two months Mm -hmm. and then after that I'm like all right get to work yeah <laughs> you got a little, to do. little breathing room like mm-hmm. all right yeah let's yeah do this. that's it so yeah. um you know it's just it's interesting um especially with the dynamics of military families what mm-hmm. they've gone through mm-hmm. um 
issues with mental health, right. PTSD, TBI, physical injuries, mm-hmm. the impacts that that has on the spouses as caregivers, the mm-hmm. kids. I've just been seen and witnessed a lot of situations, you know, that's unfortunate and sad that, you know, our veterans have to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, but we really have the opportunity to kind of make a difference in their lives. I mean, I can't even imagine what it would be like to get a house, um, pay off all of your debts, except for maybe like a car or your student loan, and be, you know, 28, 29 years old with a family, and what that would feel like, the gravity of that. Yeah. So, you know, although they're really stingy with my pay, (laughs) there's always trade-offs and things, right? And so... It is really a very unique program and mm. unique opportunity um, to help somebody really set the foundation for being debt free. Yeah, um, for sure. That's huge. And a lot of times it's really simple, basic stuff that unfortunately our military doesn't educate the service members Mm -hmm. um and then of course if you're in the military you know people will always be throwing credit offers at you Mm -hmm. and you don't learn Mm -hmm. simple basic financial stuff yeah so they get out of the military expectedly unexpectedly medical injuries um Mm -hmm. The process is very slow in regards from when they discharge to when they actually start getting benefits. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it can be even be up to a year Wow! from the time some a veteran leaves the military yeah. <clears throat> until they finally get their benefits. disability benefits. Wow. And that's kind of, that, that's, that, that's kind of crazy to think about, especially since you said, you know, imagine being 28, 29 years old, and then you have a whole family mm-hmm. to take care of, and you don't have that to, right. to fall back on. And if you've been in the military since you were 18, mm-hmm. you know, everybody loves to scream, you know, we love our vets and this and that, but a lot of them won't get hired. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it's hard for people to understand the complexities of PTSD and all these other issues. And so I think people just decide to stay away from it. So if you go into the military thinking and feeling like this is going to be your career and you're going to do this till you retire, Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden you get hurt and the military Mm -hmm. says, no, you have to retire, Mm -hmm. that messes up your entire plan. Right. And then all of a sudden, you know, career wise, how do you translate what you did into the military into civilian life Mm -hmm. and what that transition is? So a lot of times, a lot of families are going into significant debt, Mm -hmm. waiting on that period of medically discharging, going through the medical board process Mm -hmm. um, and then having that income to all of a sudden having zero. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Um, and I think especially, you know, for the men, it's harder because then it turns into an ego thing, an emotional thing. You're not providing for your family. You're frustrated because you're having these issues mentally, mm-hmm. which you can't describe, you can't really put words into. And um, I think it kind of strips away at that yeah. machismo, like, I'm a man, I'm taking care of my family, I'm a soldier. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you can't even get out of bed. So, 
Um, you know, even in the happiest of times where I'm presenting a home, they're walking through it for the first time. Mm-hmm. The wife's crying. The kids mm-hmm. are running, picking out rooms. Mm-hmm. I've seen husbands just cry and be like, I don't deserve this. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've seen so many of my battle buddies die yeah. or, you know, um, suicide is really big. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really been eye-opening to really kind of understand or at least try to understand what that transition looks like and feels like that you and I will never know you know so if you if you're in the military for four years you're a sniper you've been sniping I don't even know if that's a word (laughs) that's a word today (laughs) you've been sniping you know um on roofs you know targeting people and then you come home and you're supposed to shut that off Mm -hmm. it's almost impossible And so it starts to mess with your psyche because you're always and forever in that elevated heightened states of alertness and all the, all the chemical reactions that happen to your body, you know how to, you don't know how to turn it off Mm -hmm. because you've been trained to live, process, survive that way. And then now you're just sitting on your couch and you're hyper paranoid and you don't know you can't explain it nobody really understands you know the VA is pushing you here and I mean mailing you a box full of medications Mm -hmm. that's not really doing anything because one medication is for this but then you need another medication for that because of this medication Mm -hmm. um and it's just yeah so there's a lot of different complexities that go into it yeah um and especially when you're dealing financially um so I do have a certification in financial social work okay um which is uh, a little different from you know your credit repair people or even maybe a financial counselor that you would get like through your bank or something um what are some of those differences well um the main difference that I've observed in that you know, I try to focus on is the emotion behind your financial habits. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that feeling you get when you make that purchase Mm -hmm. or what, what was your childhood like? What did you observe as a child and your parents and their spending habits? Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, what is it that makes you want to go out and spend money? Um, it's usually because you're happy, you're sad, you're hungry. <laughs> like, there's always emotional elements behind it. Mm-hmm. And so with financial social work, it's kind of bringing those to light mm-hmm. um, and kind of getting getting people to understand that those are tied together. Okay. So if you can kind of deal with this mm-hmm. um, more emotionally, mm-hmm. then, you know, you can really sit down and focus and set goals to change your financial habits. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a more emotional approach to the money. Mm-hmm. Now, the money is important. The right. budgeting is important. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're, you're dealing with people who have had several years of certain financial behaviors. Mm-hmm. And you would think that the incentive of a free home 
be enough to motivate people to change those habits. But the emotions, just like you said, if you don't address that underlying emotion of why they're triggered mm-hmm. to just react that way, right? they're going to keep doing the same thing. They're going to keep doing it. And, I mean, I've had plenty of days where I've wanted to bang my head on my desk, (laughs) like, just do it. Just do it. All you have to do. (laughs) Okay, I'm I'm laughing even harder because your shirt says just do it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, when you have a client and, Mm -hmm. you know, I've had to learn professionally, I can't want something more than my client wants, right? Yes. Because then that puts me in a place to where... It's not good for my mental health. <laughs> and I'm not even getting the house. Boundaries. Boundaries, yes. Mm-hmm. And in that zone, I'm I'm not good. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, re- I sometimes I take it personal that they just can't put that $100 in their savings. Yeah. It's like, yeah. why can't you do that? Yeah. You have it. It's yeah. simple. So how do you manage that? Because that's, that's the question that kept kind of growing as you were talking I was like so what kind of self-care are you practicing because you're very so like for for about two years you're you're emotionally invested like you're in it with your families mm-hmm. yeah so how do you maintain boundaries and practice self-care um well one I get great supervision okay. so on a monthly basis I do um, meet with my supervisor and we go through every single family mm-hmm. and that is usually my opportunity to vent <laughs> my frustrations mm-hmm. um, and my supervisor is really great about not judging me in those moments so mm-hmm. you know sh- we'll kind of have the conversation and then we'll shift to like okay what needs to happen mm-hmm. um, so there are a lot of checks and balances in regards to the families and when they're not doing what they're supposed to do we have conference calls program violations action plans um, so we you know we don't want the house back it costs us as an organization more money to tell a family to leave find another family mm-hmm rehab the home again Mm -hmm. and then get somebody in it Mm -hmm. than it is just for us to deal with the one family right one time and then boom we're moving on Mm -hmm. um so the supervision is very important um we also have team meetings which is great um because you know there's a lot of instances we all feel the same way or we all have our difficult clients and so um for me kind of having that relationship with other caseworkers mm-hmm. um you know we can kind of get each other to laugh about it mm-hmm. as much as we can yeah. um and then really you know when friday hits and because i work from home it's especially challenging because my office is right there so initially i really struggled with turning it off i always mm-hmm. wanted to peek at my email or mm-hmm. listen to that voicemail real quick or, mm-hmm. and so i had to really learn to shut it shut it off completely mm-hmm. so I actually turn my power strip off oh. on Fridays because my work phone is there and if there's a voicemail it blinks mm-hmm. and it blinks the entire weekend <laughs> so I cut everything off mm-hmm. and I've gotten I don't see it it's there it's right next to my kitchen but I don't see it yeah. you know um, and of course sleeping um, last year and I absolutely like and I still hate the gym. I, I hate it. Um, however, I needed to find something to get out of the house and do, mm-hmm. um, and kind of put my frustrations in and my emotions in, whether I was sad or happy or frustrated or whatever. So, yeah. I started going to the gym with very kind of loose, like, okay, 
at least if you go three times a week. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be in there six hours a day Mm -hmm. or be there seven days a week, Mm -hmm. but just a small outlet for me to kind of do that. Um, And then just, I mean, my friends, like, we'll go out and we'll have some drinks or we might all get together and have some wine and cheese and vent and... Mm -hmm. um, my other friends are social workers too and in different aspects so it's kind of fun to kind of sit around and and gripe about because they're when it boils down to it they're all the same like (laughs) our bosses our assholes and our clients (laughs) don't want to (laughs) listen all the way around across the board no matter what population you work with so um those those have really been the things that you know keep me um focused and Mm -hmm. not carrying that burden emotionally Mm -hmm. um and then you know when i make that final phone call of like hey you know you've been approved Mm -hmm. um and i see that process from and it it works you know Mm -hmm. from them getting in struggling a little bit Mm -hmm. um doing what they're supposed to do and then the end result you know a lot of these families they'll have four or five six thousand dollars in their savings account they've never had that much money they didn't think that they can do it um they've paid off their collections it's such a a a huge feeling of satisfaction for them and i get to congratulate them on all the hard work that they did they Mm -hmm. did it yeah i just kind of helped them figure out the path yeah um but at the end of the day they did it I want to give them that recognition. I want to tell them congratulations. Mm-hmm. And it feels good to do that. And then, you know, sometimes they'll write a letter or send mm-hmm. an email. And, you know, they'll mention my name mm-hmm. or a personal email and just say, you know what, thank you so much. And that gets me to the next day. Then I clock yeah. in again. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, cool. Um, I did have one... A couple of situations um, that were very frustrating. I had one client we actually had to ask to leave mm-hmm. um, the program, and she put more effort into making a fuss about us asking her to leave than she did to actually be in the program. Um, and that was my first experience of really under trying to understand um, our clients mm-hmm. and not taking things as personal because mm-hmm. she she actually put up a GoFundMe page with my picture and um, from her key handover and it just did it was she called the local news it was bad <laughs> it sounds bad wow. yeah it, um, Facebook post like, oh man yeah um, and she you know she had mental health issues so mm-hmm. I, I understood that but as I was like, as much energy as you put into like um, putting the story out there that we were kicking her, her and her kids out of the home, you know, she had been in the, the house for nine months and basically did nothing mm-hmm. at all. Um, and she really needed some intensive inpatient treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, the VA didn't agree with that Mm -hmm. um and because i'm not local because i'm not there you know she lived in a whole nother state yeah our case management is not that intensive to where i'm able to really work with that Mm -hmm. um but of course she went through the gamut of the conference calls the program violations um all that stuff and it just was not working and even you know i 
reached out to her parents. I called the VA myself Mm -hmm. and was like, look, this veteran needs help. You guys need to help her. Mm -hmm. I felt really bad for her kids. I mean, they didn't do anything. They're young kids, you know. And I knew that without the stability of this home, it was going to be even worse for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, it wasn't my call. <laughs> and yeah. there was really nothing that we could do. But her reaction, it just really... When I saw my face on that GoFundMe page, I was devastated. Because mm-hmm. I wanted to be like, wait a second. Wait, wait, hold on. Let me tell my side of the story, right? But mm-hmm. legally, I couldn't do that. And mm-hmm. I had to let the lawyers, you know, handle that. Which yeah. was frustrating, you know. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. It's like, I could just so easily, you know, say what's really going on, but then it's like, okay, you have to also protect confidentiality Mm -hmm. and legal issues and ethical issues. Right. And, you know, when you talk about the optics of it, Mm -hmm. it it did not look good Mm -hmm. because we actually gave her 90 days notice, Mm -hmm. but it fell about a week before Christmas. And so, of course, she knew the whole 90 days Mm -hmm. that she had to move, Mm -hmm. but she waited until, you know, a week before Christmas, veterans getting kicked out of home, Mm -hmm. single mom veteran with three kids is getting kicked out of home before Christmas was basically the headline. Mm -hmm. And I just want to be like, wait a second, like, no, (laughs) this is not. Um, So we did have to send her like a cease and desist letter to take my picture and my name, she had my full name um, on there, which was really, again, like embarrassing and just like, oh, I just want to speak up for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, that was my first time understanding really the politics that go behind some nonprofits and the things that they have to deal with to mm-hmm. to keep those ratings and reputation that they have. Um, and we ended up having to do a lot for her um and honestly i kind of curious as to what has happened i think it's been over a year at this point mm-hmm. um and i i mean i just hope that she did get some type of intensive um treatment or help and mm-hmm. her parents they were you know they were on the brink because i guess they had been dealing with it of course longer than we had yeah um but i just wanted them to get involved more especially with the kids and yeah it was it was a lot to deal with, but that that has really been the one sole experience that really personally affected, affected me in a way that I I couldn't shut it off. Like once mm-hmm. I clocked out, like yeah. it it really did because yeah. I wanted to help her, and I think um, that her mental health issues were way beyond the scope of what I was able to provide for her. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, anybody else for that matter who was in her circle. Yes. Yeah. It's one of those things, yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's one of the hardest parts about this job where you've kind of reached your limit of, okay, this is how much you're able to do. You've done all of that. You've walked the client through it. You've talked them through it. You've demonstrated here, so here are your strengths that you already have. Here are the resources that you already have. And then at the end of the day, for something to still go wrong or for you just to not be able to do anything, yeah. it's a hard feeling to sit with. Because, you know, I mean, I think back to, like, even in school where when we're 
before we even, you know, really went out into the field, we're all like, okay, time to put on the superhero cape, like, let's go save the day, (laughs) but it's not really like that. No, not at all. I mean, um, and I think, I mean, I I think with any career, maybe you walk in with a certain amount of energy, Mm -hmm. um, and then the politics and and the realistic... Yeah. behind the scenes thing happen yeah. um, but I still feel fairly fresh and motivated at this point three years in mm-hmm. um, and so that that lets me know I'm in the right field mm-hmm. and I'm doing you know I'm I'm headed in the right direction yeah. <laughs> um, and so that that definitely helps um, on maybe some of the not so good days mm-hmm. and um, also, just, you know, with the work atmosphere, we're all very supportive of each other. Mm-hmm. I think it, having the right type of um, supervisor mm-hmm. or director um, also helps as well. And mm-hmm. to, ha- you know, like you and I discussed with what happened with me, you know, I'm having to balance out the pros and cons um, because I, I did take it personal that they asked me to wait and then they said no Mm -hmm. and I really wanted to just be like you know what I'm out forget (laughs) you forget you you're cool Ah." um but then when I started looking like really seriously looking Mm -hmm. I was like oh you know what is that you know yeah financially I may be able to bring in some additional funds but what is that work atmosphere how are you Mm -hmm. supported as a case manager or therapist Mm -hmm. or you know what I mean like the older I get, the more I realize that that's actually really important mm-hmm. to just your overall in- insanity and being able to keep up with your caseload mm-hmm. and the whole emotional aspect to it, mm-hmm. um, to have that support. Yeah. It's almost worth not getting that couple extra thousand dollars a year mm-hmm. um, when you know that you have it. Yeah. 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 No, I... I definitely agree with you there. Just having been through jobs and internships where there was just not a good support system there, the, you know, the management, it was, I mean, I was just like with my two current jobs, I was like, it's very important for me to feel support supported and then for it to be a collaborative, you know, environment mm-hmm. because, you know, we're dealing with like really hard things sometimes and to throw in, like, not only the mental health of our clients, but us as well. I mean, yeah. you know. So it's almost, yeah, like, that's that, that makes it, like, almost like a whole, like, tangible, you know, pro. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. it's like, I, I, I'd go without, you know, the extra income just to have that. Because I, I have that, have that yeah. somewhere else. And, you know, you go through the interviewing process and mm-hmm. you maybe walk around and they show you the break room and mm-hmm. where your office is going to be. But you never really know yeah. until you start working there. Yeah. Um, and so that thought alone has really gotten me to calm down and say, mm-hmm. you know what? Maybe my path is not to always have to go and work for somebody what can I take out of what I'm currently doing now mm-hmm. and Im- implement it in a way I can actually work in my own community, which mm-hmm. is kind of my focus right now because okay. it's great. But again, I'm remote. Mm-hmm. I don't get that face to face interaction that I actually mm-hmm. really, really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in a way I would love to kind of provide my skills um, 
to the community mm-hmm. that I live in to mm-hmm. benefit the people who are next door, down mm-hmm. the street from me. Um, and so that's kind of my current quest is like, okay, how, how do I take what I do mm-hmm. and be able to provide those services independently? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm kind of develop, developing right now the uh, financial social work as a, hey, let's sit down, let's review your budget, let me help you, you know, kind of figure out some key issues as to why you're having these issues. Mm-hmm. And then also, like, give you some legit financial advice about mm-hmm. how to strengthen your credit score, mm-hmm. how to pay down things. Um, it's kind yeah. of amazing with student loans. People shut down. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so much. It's so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um And it really just takes, like, some focused effort. But once you kind of get in with these different programs that they have available, they don't tell you about it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's something that you can take care of, and it doesn't seem like such an overwhelming and daunting thing that you have to do is pay back your... Like, eventually you are. and. Everybody has student loans, right? Like, (laughs) pretty much, um, I think a majority of the people are going to be paying back student loans forever. Yeah. I know that's maybe not true, but I feel that way. Yeah, it feels like it. It does. It's very daunting. Um, But, you know, just having that conversation with somebody to give them the confidence of, like, no, you can do it. You just need to make that phone call, send in your tax information, and then this is what's going to happen. And, um... It never fails. People do it, and they'll call me back and be like, "Yeah, that was really so. That was really easy." I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. And now you're in good standing. Your credit score is going to go up, and you just need to, you know, continue making those payments. You'll be yeah. fine. Yeah. Um. So, I'm really wanting to get involved more in the community to provide that basic financial literacy, mm-hmm. and I think that's missing a lot. With a lot of programs, you know. It's missing with everything. Everything, right? (laughs) So you have, you know, drug court, um, different programs where you're trying to integrate people back into the community. Mm -hmm. But we're not including that financial aspect. Right. And especially when you're dealing with individuals, you know, who who do have uh, substance abuse issues. Mm -hmm. Um that's a key element because if you don't have that financial knowledge or that financial stability, you're going to go back out there mm-hmm. and want to give up the first opportunity you get and mm-hmm. potentially slip back into your old ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so what if we can give them some foundation, some things to have knowledge wise financially, that's going to benefit them in their, in their quest for sober living or independent living or, you know, being able to take care of their kids. That's Mm -hmm. important. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's missing everywhere. So I feel like I've identified a potential issue to really work with people. It's Mm -hmm. just figuring out how to incorporate it Mm -hmm. in a way um, (laughs) where I'm not working for free. I, I was just going to say, because I was like, it's all good what you're saying. Oh, yeah. In theory, it yeah. does. And it's interesting because, um, you know, I found myself a little bit in crisis when, you know, financially my job was like, no. And um, I started to reach out to my mentors, people who I'd worked with um, when I went to school. Mm-hmm. Some of my old supervisors, I even reached out to an old professor of mine. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, what do I do? I mean, 
everything I, the job I got I got a job offer before I walked across the stage so everything always kind of fell into place for me and mm-hmm. it was the first time I really felt like I had to actually go out and pursue something mm-hmm. um, and so um, I did I was like a student's I don't know what, what they called it. Um, but I worked part-time for CASA at the Cobb County Courts, okay. um, which CASA is the program that's a child advocate mm-hmm. when um, a minor is going through the court system, usually with the parents um, and having defects involved. Yeah. So um, I went and I spoke with my old supervisor, and she she's always been such a sweetheart. And so I kind of was telling her what I do, mm-hmm. and she was like, oh, you know, the financial counseling, that would be great. We should try to, you know, let me talk to so-and-so. And so I get an email. I write up this whole proposal about how I want to do it and what it looks like, mm-hmm. and I send it, and I get an email back, and I was like, yeah, this is a great idea. I think this would be very beneficial to all our clients. Um, would you mind doing this pro bono? What? <laughs> and I was like, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. so like, and I felt torn because a part of me felt like I needed to say yes to maybe mm-hmm. prove or justify or whatever the case was. Yeah. But when you're talking about individual work mm-hmm. and the amount of effort and time that goes into creating these sessions for these clients mm-hmm. and putting together sound advice and talking to them, mm-hmm. I had to say no yeah. because no. Yeah. You're you're you know, skill set, your knowledge, like that's worth something. And it's not to say that it's always all about the money, but to do something, like you said, that requires that much effort and preparation, there should be some type right. of, you know, compensation for that. Um, yeah, I know I'm, I'm right there with you because yeah. it seems to be like there are certain times where you can offer certain services for free and that's fine because you're trying to get some information out mm-hmm. there but when it requires like more preparation and it's you know could potentially be mentally taxing on you that kind of frustrates me when people are like hey like I just want to pick your brain about this and I'm like it it, it gets very frustrating when it turns from you just want to pick my brain to you're actually like asking for more information that if this was like an actual session like I would be charging you mm-hmm. for and then if you try to like put up that boundary people are like well why well why can't you just give it to me for free or like why why can't we just like talk about it? I'm like well yeah because it's a boundary it is and one that I'm yet I'm working on it mm-hmm. but you know the whole idea of really understanding and setting a boundary of what my value is is a mm. challenge for me okay. and it, it's always been a challenge as somebody who did drop out of high school mm-hmm. you know had to get my GED started mm-hmm. from the bottom bottom mm-hmm. in regards to work and slowly climbing up the ladder mm-hmm. um, you know sometimes I it's I'm like I do like I have to remind myself I am educated I mm-hmm. I do have the degree mm-hmm. I actually do have the knowledge yeah and it's worth something but kind of figuring out that value in that number 
is still something that I'm definitely struggling with. Mm-hmm. Um, but know that like, so I, ha- I had to say no. And, um, you know, I decided to go ahead and try to seek opportunities where maybe I can get some funding to be able to do it. Um, and so that, you know, that's still kind of a work in process. But meanwhile, figuring out a way to actually start that program itself has been something that I've been working on because right now it's just a theory. But, you know, what does it look like? What type of forms do I need to create? What type mm-hmm. of system and process? You know, right now, the way it's that's just because that's what my job is. Um, but what happens when that incentive is not a free house? Mm-hmm. Where what can I touch on as a motivating factor for them to want to a pay for my service mm-hmm. um, and B um, do what they're supposed to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm still trying to figure out that balance, so I don't have an answer for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't have an answer yet, but that's what I'm, I've really been kind of tweaking, you know, how that process, what it should look like, mm-hmm. and, you know, figuring out <clears throat> how much should I charge people? Mm-hmm. That's, that's like the hardest question, and honestly, I've done everything else, but decide what that number <laughs> is. I mean, <laughs> for me, I just recently having to go through that and I'm still going through um because like I just met my 90 days at my other job mm-hmm. so like trying to one get the courage to be like hey like can we talk about salary again um and then two like you know asking for you know what I should be getting are relatively new but I do remember um trying the first time that I tried to negotiate a salary raise and just coming away feeling very much like oh like maybe I I I what I'm doing isn't good enough to like be charging that much but if you do a quick google search yes you realize very quickly you're like I don't even charge that much I should be charging more like yeah you know so I think it's you know doing your research <clears throat> And then something that's been really helpful for me is consulting with, like, other people who are in my field mm-hmm. or, like, want, or doing similar things and just kind of asking, like, hey, like, what do you think about this? Because it's helpful to, like, get that reassurance. Like, okay, I'm not crazy. Like, I actually should be, yeah. you know, I, I should be paid for what I'm worth and what I'm able to give to another person because you know that what you're offering them is going to make a difference. Mm-hmm. It's going to be help. They're getting their money's worth, right? It's yeah. not just, you know, you're like a so-so kind of um, clinician. It's like, um, actually, no. Mm-hmm. Like, I know I, I know my shit, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's try that again. Let's like, talk about these coins. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. Like, I'll give you a little bit for free. Just, just, just taste <laughs> to intrigue you. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know it's still a a little bit of work in process and I did eventually go back and email them again Mm -hmm. um and and I did tell them you know hey if you want me to come and speak to a group of your clients or Mm -hmm. you know maybe do a couple of group sessions I Mm -hmm. can do that for free Mm -hmm. but my my vision at the time was very individualized Mm -hmm. um which is way too time consuming and energy consuming for me to even fathom doing it for free Mm -hmm. even if it was only temporary because 
for any type of effective change, I need to work with that client for at least six months mm. to make sure that, you know, they're taking the advice, they're doing things. And then mm-hmm. especially with your credit, that stuff takes time to mm-hmm. really start to reflect. Yeah. And so it's not that I need to meet with you every week because I don't. But even, you know, preparing for that session we may have to have once a month. I'm going to be doing some homework before we get together, mm-hmm. and I'm going to be doing some homework after we get together. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, as social workers, we definitely deserve to be compensated mm-hmm. for any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, notes, travel. Things um, that we're currently <laughs> not paid for. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. My best friend, um, you know, she has to do notes on the weekends. And I'm like, girl. Me? I'm like, yeah, and I know, and, you know, my mom, she does the same thing, and it's, you know, I know it's a part of the job, but it can take I, it time. takes a lot of time, and mm-hmm. billing, and mm-hmm. all that stuff, like, I think, I think that's something that people should be compensated for, mm-hmm. um, so... It's, it's, everything is still a work in process, but I, I do definitely see something happening. It's just still kind of really foggy and I'm like, you know, trying to figure it out. And then also just naturally, I'm not the most social person. So when I do go to these CE workshops and these classes, um, I think last year I was very just like there to get my credits and go about my business but I've kind of learned the importance of talking to people mm-hmm. and changing exchanging business cards and mm-hmm. asking them you know what they do um <clears throat> and um so I definitely want to stick start taking more advantage of those opportunities to really kind of figure out what's going on yeah you know because I don't feel like there's like a social ner- a social work website I mean the NS. NASW, but I want some real, like something real. (laughs) Let's have real conversations about what this looks like and what we're doing Mm -hmm. as professionals. I mean, I think it's great that, you know, we have these standards and rules and stuff like that. Um, But I kind of felt like after I graduated, I just like, I just, you just don't know. You really don't. And there's so much to learn. Mm -hmm. So yeah, still very much in that learning stage. Yeah, I, w- I would definitely agree with that. I feel like probably probably like sixty to seventy percent of what I know now is from directly being in the field, mm-hmm. um, and and putting thing in, putting things into practice. Because as many like ethics classes that I had to take, I'm just like nothing really prepares you for the real deal. Mm-hmm. You know. Um. Yeah, you just kind of have to, <laughs> you know, accept that there's a learning curve, and I know. And my worst fear it. is like hurting my client. Mm-hmm. That yeah. that is a Same. legitimate fear that I Same. have, and I believe is probably one of the factors that is holding me back from pursuing my additional licensure because mm-hmm. I'm I'm scared. Mm-hmm. Um. Sorry to leave you guys with a bit of a cliffhanger, but you can learn more about Operation Homefront by visiting operationhomefront.org. Tune in next Wednesday for the second half of my conversation with Andrea and another special guest appearance by my ceiling fan. Until the next one, be kind and be well. Thanks for listening to the Rachel Does Therapy podcast. 
Connect with me on Instagram at Rachel Therapy or send me an email at racheldustherapy at gmail.com. Listen to new episodes of the podcast every Wednesday, wherever you find podcasts.